Did you know a turkey puppet once ran for the presidency of Ireland? Did you know that meat once rained from the skies of Kentucky? Did you know that there was an emperor of the United States for a while? Then listen to the Wiki Ship Down podcast. We live in an age when the sum total of humanity's knowledge can be found in your pocket on a smartphone at any given time. But when that knowledge is peer editable, like it is on Wikipedia, what does that say about mankind? So follow us down the digital rabbit hole as we drink, joke, and curse our way through the random button on Wikipedia and see where our journey through humanity's knowledge takes us. While you're at it, follow us on all social media at Wikiship Down. I'm Ruthann. I'm Ryan. And be sure to find us every Wednesday on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're rolling. Uh, counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I'm Lex Michael. Yo, is this your first time listening? I it's mine. Welcome you. Ah, welcome, thanks. Lex Michael. Hi. Uh, let me fill you in on what we do here. Thanks, because I'm lost. Good. Uh, you are a show created by J.J. Abrams that ended poorly. Boom! Ah, J.J. Abrams burn. You know what? I actually feel like if you were to describe generally like J.J. Abrams style, it maybe it maybe does uh, map onto my life pretty decently. <laughs> like there's an air, there's an air of mystery that that is just sprayed over everything, and you want to look closer. You're like, oh, this seems somewhat compelling. I wanna I wanna dig a little deeper. I wanna I wanna know. I'm obsessed with what the answers are, and. The truth is, not only are the answers not important, there wasn't really a mystery there to begin with, but he right. sprayed mystery all over me, and so you were intrigued, but then, to your great disappointment, you find out that there's not actually a whole lot there. Yeah. But, we get by on verve and personality. Ooh, that's true. Um, <laughs> so, uh, to, fill, to catch you up, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media. I do like J.J. Abrams, by the way, just in case J.J. Abrams is listening and he just got super, super, super duper offended. Oh, J.J. Uh, Abrams, if you're listening, please don't mess up episode nine. Um, so what we do here oh, is Poor we shit on J.J. Abrams no. for a whole hour. I like his movies. <laughs> I, I enjoy them. Just, just we just just vomit all over Some JJ of them Abrams. Are a little, a little, whether it be something. his movies, his TV, his Sounds music. Little, his, some of them his, are Star Trek Into uh, Darkness. Uh, what else? We, whether it be his spoken word or his, we introduce it to I each really other. I really want to hear JJ slam poetry, and we introduce it to you, the audience. Lens flare. Ooh, I'd actually listen to that. Um. You know, in my retrospective, that's also introspective. I, you know what? I appreciate your commitment to to this line of of conversation, despite I think at a certain point having accepted that your segues were like bumpy to non-existent, <laughs> and just committing super hard and getting us there anyway. I'm I am nothing if not focused. Uh, yep, that's what I'm dedicated. I'm nothing if not dedicated. I'll accept that one. Um, <laughs> it was like uh, it was like oh my god, what is it? Queen of the what is it? Queen of the Nile, uh, where they're on the boat and it's super bumpy and choppy and it's like how are we gonna get there? This is way more complex than what we signed up for. Uh oh, boat crash? Question mark? And then they make it and they Ooh, fall and they fall in love. That's because true. they because they persisted it is great cool. right. it's probably not cool all good out. love is born out of desperate situations absolutely you know? you know it's not real unless you have nowhere else to turn that's true yeah speaking of nowhere else to turn <laughs> um this week we're talking about vampire in brooklyn the 1995 film starring eddie murphy angela bassett uh kadeem hardison directed by the great wes Craven. Uh, the story, if you don't know, is about a vampire who comes from the Caribbean to find his his uh, the last other vampire in the world, uh, who is played by Angela Bassett, and uh, so he won't be alone. Got to got to go back for a second. It wasn't Queen of the Nile. It was the African Queen. Got this it. is a very important distinction because Oof. these are in fact two completely different things. Yeah, but uh, you're you're you're. Uh, you're Humphrey Bogart in this equation. Oh, cool. And I'm, and I'm Catherine Hepburn. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Because you were like, I'm going to take the boat and steer it. And I'm going to be like, fine, B Humphrey Bogart, you get me to you get me to the other end of the boat journey. And you're like, fine. And then it's super bumpy and, and erratic and it barely makes any c 
kind of sense that this is happening to us. And then we, we get there and, and we've probably fallen in love and learned some things about ourselves along the way. All that could also describe my sex life. Hey, ba, 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 and you ba. know what else it doesn't apply to at all is Vampire in Brooklyn from 1995 <laughs> starring Eddie Murphy directed by Wes Craven. Also, first thing that jumped out at me about this movie as I was watching it because I had never seen it in its entirety. I had seen at most half an hour of it in bits and pieces on yeah. cable like 15 years ago. Okay. Um, first thing that jumped out to me watching it this time was in the opening credits when I, I saw that uh, uh, the first writing credit on the movie belongs to Charlie Murphy. Yes. I did not realize. And I think he, he helped maybe break the story as well. I know Eddie Murphy uh, uh, created the story that was the basis for the screenplay along with a couple of other people. But there are three credited screenwriters and Charlie Murphy is top. Yeah. So I was reading a lot about the development of this movie. Um, and yes, yeah, so originally Charlie Murphy, uh, Eddie, and one of their other writing partners came up with the script idea. They got it to um, Paramount and then Paramount brought in two other writers just to kind of like go over their next draft because um, basically the, the writers were like, this has a few problems and they're like, that's why we brought you in. Um, so like all of the first initial ideas were Charlie Murphy and Eddie's. Um, and then... Uh, the studio essentially was like, yo, like, we need this to be a comedy. And then... Uh, Which became a problem during production, right? Because wasn't Eddie Murphy so committed to playing it very, very straight? Sort of. There are, like, conflicting accounts. Yeah. So Eddie Murphy will say that, like, uh, or I guess people around Eddie Murphy would say that he uh, was was getting uh he was getting direction from west to be a little more comedic whereas west would say that like he kept trying to get eddie murphy to be more vulnerable and he kept trying to do jokes so like who knows what the like truth of it is i know that eddie murphy did an interview at one point where he blamed the wig yes he said like no the reason that movie sucked is because that wig as soon as i came out in that wig everybody's like what is this get out of here with that shit right um i mean it it was a wig. It was. It was <laughs> like, though I, I personally, I think I liked the wig. Let's just go in on the wig. Um, I thought it was, I liked I thought it was fine um, because I think that it was the best way for me to capture the this like the style of a Dracula type figure, right? Um, without having him either have like. Um, like straightened hair for some reason or just have a, sh a buzz cut, which I don't think would have looked as good. Um, and then I think you also, if you had him have an Afro, you run the risk of having him look too close to like Blackula. Right. So like, I think that it was the best option out of all the different varieties. Right. And with the shorter hair, like the, the closer to a crew or a buzz, right. Then it's like, we, we have nothing aesthetically except maybe his cape to distinguish him aesthetically from Eddie Murphy and almost every other project right until he pops the fangs obviously well of course um so i don't think the wig can be blamed i think the big issue with the movie that, that is where he tried to pass the buck too it's <laughs> like look i'm not throwing anybody who worked on the movie under the bus so let's throw the wig under the bus and somewhere like the the hair and makeup team are sitting there going like eddie ow <laughs> why have you done this he well yeah um i mean he also in an interview was saying that uh, he only did it so that Paramount would give him the rights to uh, Nutty Professor. That's right. Like he had to, he had to fulfill something on some end of his contract, and so it was just something that he described as maybe they they shat out a little bit. Right. Which honestly, I think I think does a bit of a disservice to this movie. Which, while not a, a magnum opus, while not the pinnacle of filmmaking in the '90s by any means, is very fun. It's very, yeah. you can't, you can't go in expecting it to be, you know, uh, uh, interview with a vampire, but it's fun. There's a lot of really goofy, silly, enjoyable stuff there. I also appreciate that the title of the movie is also the log line. Yep. Like you literally, you don't have to know anything else going in. You know, you're now equipped. If you know the title with every bit of knowledge that you need to enter into this story, there's a vampire, he's in Brooklyn. Let's go. Yeah. I do wonder what the, like, serious version of this movie would have been, though. Like, I'm really interested. If I had more time, I probably would have gone and tried to find the original scripts. Um, just because I, 
I think that there is a lot of really interesting, like world building stuff in this movie that they kind of like talk about and hint at. Um, but like, you never really get to dive into it because everyone's doing bits and making jokes. Yeah. Um, which I feel like what? Well, I was going to say like, right. Like, and, and to take it even further, there are characters in this movie that feel like they stepped out of a completely different, much more pointedly comedic and absurd and cartoonish movie. Yes. Including the other two characters that Eddie Murphy plays. But before we get to those characters, you see like even the the police captain who's played by uh, Joanna Cassidy, who was uh, is probably best known as uh, Zora from Blade Runner. Uh, yeah. Uh, she's basically doing a dice impression. Like she wanders into the movie and she's like, you know, like I know it's a tough time with a mother dying in the nut house over here. Oh, and it's just like, <laughs> I was just like, what is this character? Where did you come from? Why is nobody else in Brooklyn speaking this way? Why are you speaking this way? No, no, no. Why are you speaking this way? Cause that's how, that's how Brooklanders speak. Everyone else was the outlier. She's the true Brooklyn. She's actually, she's the only one who did the, the research yeah. and the homework. She's like, I've been doing elocution lessons for the last three months. Where's everyone else been? And Eddie Murphy's over there being like, I'm going to do something like vaguely Romanian and Caribbean. Don't worry about it. Caribbean. Yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of like, there's a lot of that. His, uh, his, uh, his diction, his articulation is very on point in this movie. Yeah. Yes. Um, That's how he does all his seducing. <laughs> Ooh. I really, I'm going to, I have a whole section about his seducing. All right. But, but before I get there, since, we're ta- since we've been talking about just like all of the production, pre-production stuff, um, there was, there's also reports or like uh, firsthand accounts of Eddie Murphy being a super diva on the set of this movie. You hear things like that about Eddie Murphy a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, there were a lot of them specifically for this movie. Like he would like stay in his trailer for hours and hours on end. Like they'd be like, we're ready, Mr. Murphy. And he would just not come out. Or they were talking about the opening shot where uh, they were, they had set up everything down in Long Beach. And then at some point they got a call and it was like, Eddie Murphy's still at home in Beverly Hills. <laughs> Why? I don't know. So they were like, it would. It's going to take like two hours for him to get here, and then two hours for him to do makeup. Like some. So do you have you heard too many? Like I'm sure just because of the the period of time at which he was at his peak, I'm sure there was a ton of drug stuff going on, and I don't want to like, you know, I, I'm not like going to talk about uh, Eddie Murphy's relationship with drugs because I have literally no basis to do so. I have no clue. Right. But I haven't heard big like Eddie Murphy had a serious drug problem and that was really messing with productions of, of a lot of his films and projects this sounds like he was just being a diva um I think it was a, it might have been a little bit of both I know that there is also a first hand account of them having an issue with his contacts because he had for some reason the, the the account said that he had smoked so much that his eyes had expanded and so he couldn't use the same uh, contacts, so they had to get new ones. Um, okay. So that was a thing. You know what? If you tell me that that his Maximilian performance was drug-fueled, i buy it, <laughs> I guess. Sure. Um, I mean, but I still, think that his, it was... His diction and articulation, then, even more impressive. Yeah. I think that it was that I feel like he was at a weird crossroads in his career. So, like... Once I watched this movie and I started doing a little bit of research, I started kind of trying to group his his career in a diff- into different sections. Because wasn't this give or take, maybe it wasn't, but I know there are a couple of Eddie Murphy vehicles that I haven't seen that are not as beloved as some of his others, movies like uh, Boomerang, yeah. Harlem Nights. Like, where did this fall in relation to those? Um, this was... Uh, it was around that... So, like, this was... After those two movies. Yeah. Um, and it was during his, what I call his action comedy phase. So between 1984 and 1994, he did a lot of like action comedies. So like Beverly Hills Cop, 48 Hours, Another 48 Hours, um, Golden Child. Uh, Golden and then Child. I've not thought about Golden Child in quite some time. Yeah, right? Uh, so there was that. And then uh, 
in between those, a little bit of Boomerang, a little bit of um, like Harlem Nights, things of that sort. And so it was just at that point where uh, he was reaching his last uh, movie with Paramount. So that was this movie. And I think that he was trying to figure out where he wanted to go. I think that at this point he had children. And so this is where he kind of starts to reach his second phase where he starts doing like family comedies interspersed with like crazy comedies. So like, this is when he started doing like Mulan and Dr. Doolittle, Nutty Professor, but then also doing things like Life and Bowfinger and things of that sort. Bowfinger is a very underrated movie. Yeah. So that was like up through like 2001. He kind of balanced doing like adult movies with kids movies so that I assume that his kids could watch him do his job. Uh, Um, uh, Daddy daycare. Uh, that was later. No, I know that so. was later, but now I'm just that poster is so seared into my brain. <laughs> um, I think this was also a, uh, this was also w- uh, when Shrek happened. Um, and then after 2001, uh, in 2002, uh, well, yeah, I would say that like around around 2001 is when he started doing kind of like sequels. And then he did Pluto Nash. I was about to which, ask like, when Pluto Nash was. And also like Meet Dave was way later. But it yeah. feels like, and I again, I, I don't know whether there is any truth to this at all. It almost feels like like the Pluto Nash uh, anti-buzz sort of died down. And then the same people called him and be like, listen, Eddie, we, we know, we know. But check this out. You're a, t- you're, you're a dude with a bunch of tiny dudes living inside you. You're like a, you're like a ship at Eddie. Eddie. We'll get him back. <laughs> And he's like, yes, I gotta do it. I just talk. <laughs> I don't- <laughs> it's like he didn't even hang up because he didn't like the idea. He hung up because he couldn't tell everyone fast enough. <laughs> it's like, you ready to meet Dave? Are you ready to meet Dave? Are you ready? Just yeah. cut to like three weeks later. He's still doing it. He's mm-hmm. doing press for a totally different movie. And he's just like, are you guys ready to meet Dave? <laughs> and it's like, uh, it's like Gabo is coming on The Simpsons when nobody knows what Gabo is. But it's yeah. just like Gabo is coming everywhere. And that's the entire campaign for the movie. It's just him going, you ready to meet Dave? Are you ready to meet Dave? Are you? And then the movie came out. Yeah. And everybody and met Dave. Except you know that most people didn't. Yeah. I, um forgot about that movie like sometimes i think about the idea of that movie and i go wasn't there a movie where eddie murphy is a bunch of tiny people and he's essentially like like a robot chip vessel yeah yeah um but then i'm like "Mm, i don't let's not think about that let's think about beverly hills cop um wasn't pam greer in pluto nash I'd, I've never seen Pluto Nash. Pluto Nash is another one that I've seen like uh, half an hour to 45 minutes of on cable yeah. a decade ago. I mean, so I feel like Pluto Nash is where Eddie Murphy broke. Um, was, so, was Showtime after that? No, Showtime was before. I think Showtime is maybe where he started to break for me. What is Showtime? This is the one with him and Robert De Niro where I think Robert De Niro is the cop. And he's the actor who's kind of hanging out with the cops to research a role or something like that. Okay. Um, and they do... The, William Shatner's in it. Okay. They do police um, things. They I, By the end, they're friends. Spoilers. Yes. I mean, but I think that, like... Because he's done movies like that before. I think this one, Bruno Nash specifically, is the one that, like, I think destroyed him emotionally because so pluto nash was a hundred million dollar movie that grossed four million making it one of the like top three least profitable movies of all time right and especially when it was a star vehicle for you uh, uh ostensibly even still one of the biggest stars in the world even though maybe no longer the highest grossing like that's gotta be a, a massive ego blow on top of the business hit that you take yeah and so, like, I feel like he disappeared for a while and then kind of came back and was only really doing the the family comedies. And I feel like most of them, he was just like, I'm going to make some money. I'm going to, like, do some characters or just play myself. And then I'm going to just, like, live the rest of my life. But then there was that moment where he did Dreamgirls. Yeah. Have you seen Dreamgirls? I have. Phenomenal, And he is absolutely phenomenal in it. And you could tell he was really gunning for that Academy Award. And then he didn't get it. And it seemed like at that point he went, you know what? Then like, why not just kind of fuck off and do the stuff that I want to do? Right. He's Uh, like, I'm rich. Whatever. 
I uh, I haven't seen Dreamgirls in a very long time. I love I loved Dreamgirls. I was staggered by it when I first saw it. Uh, Jennifer Hudson doing uh, and I'm telling you, I'm not going. Yeah. One of like the three biggest applauses I've ever heard in a movie theater. Nice. The other two, interestingly, it's it's a weird eclectic group. Uh, it's that. It's the first time the Avengers assembled. Yeah. And it's uh, very recently the reveal that Luke Skywalker was not, in fact, on crate, but was floating, meditating, projecting himself across the galaxy. Mm. Got one of the biggest applauses I have ever heard in a movie theater. Interesting. I'm now going to just get trolls now, just like glomming onto me like uh, like barnacles on the bottom of a ship. <laughs> I did it to myself. Um, but he was uh, he was phenomenal phenomenal in that movie and then, yeah. yeah he was just kind of like i'm not i'm not doing that anymore it's just a lot of effort yeah i think that it was his like opportunity to show people that he can do not comedy um and he, he, and he it. like no yeah because he hadn't i don't think i don't feel like he had done a serious role before that since life um, and life only ever felt like a semi-serious role as well. Like that movie, maybe I don't remember that movie very well, but it felt like we're dealing with some kind of heavy stuff, but with a lighter touch to make it palatable. Maybe. Yes. So yes, yeah, serious role, but like not, I don't know. It didn't register to me as straight as say like him as uh, Jimmy early right. in dream girls. And not for nothing, especially if you, your only association uh, uh, between Eddie Murphy and music was like party all the time. Yes, it's it's insane how phenomenal a vocalist he is and the work that he does in that movie. Like he does, he's basically doing like his his character is like almost like a James Brown kind of riff. Yeah, but with a vo- like James Brown had his very like like he could sing right. Yeah, he's just very almost like a gravelly like strained like you could hear the miles on his voice even when yeah. he would hit big notes but eddie murphy's was almost like the musical theater version of that mm-hmm. it's really good oh yeah i mean i think that people forget that he did like even so party all the time was back i want to say early 90s um but he kept doing music way beyond that so like when he he if you remember he featured in michael jackson's remember the time uh, music video. Oh, yeah, and so yeah. shortly after that, he had his own music video that featured Michael Jackson. So they did kind of like a music swap. Um, I think he did one other music video after that, but he's been like singing and doing stuff for like decades. Yeah. Um, and people forget that like, he's not just a comedian, like he does other stuff. But um, that's, that too is like, that's the one, uh, like actors always take flack for that. There is no, even the ones that are legitimately musically talented will always take flack for trying to dabble in that world. Right. Like every single one. Like, like uh, Bruce Willis, the return of Bruno is still, I, I don't hear it brought up in any conversation unless it's to be used as a punchline. Right. And I can't, re- I don't think I've ever sat and listened to the return of Bruno in all of its glory. So I can't speak to even my own opinion as to its relative quality. But yeah, you don't really hear it talked about uh, unless it's to make fun of it. Right. Um, but now I, I want to talk about this movie. Um, and I, I, I have a whole thing about um, about Maximilian. Yeah. Uh, because it, it... I used to watch this movie a lot when I was a kid. Okay. Um, like a lot. Uh, Did I, you have like a VHS that you would just run a bunch of times or was it always on and I think you just it was, kept catching it? I think we would rent it. Like we used to go to Blockbuster every other weekend and we would like rent a movie. Um, and so we would rent it a bunch. Um, I remember a lot of the like lines for like, so like when he gets shot and he's like, it kind of itches a little. Um, and, and the bang, bang, bang of John Witherspoon. Speaking of John Witherspoon. Um, I love that in every movie, I feel like the director just goes, John, do your thing. And he's like, John Witherspoon gonna John Witherspoon. I like that he didn't get eaten. Yes. Because uh, he's just fun to watch. And I, I'm, I'm glad every time I see John Witherspoon in a movie and he doesn't get eaten. Friday. Those credits rolled and I was so relieved nobody <laughs> ate John Witherspoon. Um, so he but got I, close. Debo was like, you looking real good, old man. <laughs> but he tells a story, too, about how 
he had a bit of a difficult time at a certain point working on the movie because he liked to, like, as you're saying, they're just kind of like, all right, Witherspoon, you, you go and Witherspoon, so Witherspoon at it. Uh, so he would just improv and he would just go and go and go. And Wes Craven would be very meticulous about wanting to shoot coverage and grab scenes from a bunch of different angles. So he'd go up to John Witherspoon and he'd be like, that, that was really funny. That was really funny. Okay, just say that again when we do another take. And John Witherspoon would go, I, what'd I say? I have no idea what I said. Yeah. And so he was having a difficult time for a while trying to retain everything that he was doing in the moment. So we talked about like by the end of production, he was just sticking to the script because yeah. he just, it was impossible to retain every bit of it. Because as you see, every time he pops up, when the dude goes, he just goes and it's always so specific. Yeah. Like incredibly specific. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine having to do it organically and specifically and then retain that before, in the same shot, you go to the next really organic, really specific riff. Right. And I'm not going to talk shit about uh, Wes Craven, but bro, just add more cameras, dude. Add more cameras, my dude. That could be tough get, for lighting. Get all get all the angles at once, my dude. Just like fucking put them in a, in a put them in, a, in like a central area and just get all the cameras. Just do it like how they did a bullet time in the Matrix, where yeah. you just a literal ring of cameras <laughs> that are all shooting simultaneously. Yeah. Um. To just yeah. That's it. That's all you need. Um. You, no, actually. Well. Um. They. They were saying that like the budget got cut midway through production. Um, that was just another fun fact. Um, the budget got cut rolled real deep mid production, mostly because one, uh, Eddie Murphy was wasting a lot of money for the days that he didn't show up. Um, That'll happen. Uh, but also, uh, you know, I think that as time went on, they started to lose like the 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 studio started to lose confidence in the project and was like, just just make it, just just finish it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you anyway. referenced the scene where he gets shot and he's like, uh, that tickles. My first outright holy shit moment in this movie was the dude, the the bald gentleman in the red jacket who gets out of the car and shoots him is an uncredited Mitch Pileggi, best known by far, I think, as Walter Skinner, the, the basically like the third lead on X-Files. Oh, really? Uh, it's basically like, obviously, Mulder and Scully are the two most prominent, significant recurring characters. And then right below them would be the cigarette smoking man and Walter Skinner. Yeah. He's, he goes uncredited. I had no idea he was in the movie. So I saw him. I was like, oh, holy shit. That's really fun. And then he gets his heart ripped out. Um, the other guy who's with him. Yeah. Anthony. Is, is Nick Corey, who played Rod Lane in Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, nice. Have you seen Nightmare? The first one? Yeah. Yes. I've seen one... Three and New Nightmare. Oh, so you're you're good. Yeah, I mean, some of the other ones are fun, but like like he turns somebody into like pizza at some point and eats them. Oh, nice, it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, this is so great, so great, <laughs> so great. Pizza um, death. Uh, but uh, yeah, he was the. If you've seen the first Nightmare on Elm Street, spoilers. He's the one. He's the boyfriend who's there when uh, uh, Tina like the super famous sequence where she gets dragged across the ceiling. Yeah. Um, and then he's arrested for it, and then. Freddie makes it look like he hanged himself in his jail cell. All the spoilers for this older movie, you guys. But uh, <laughs> he he showed up again, which was which was kind of cool to see. Oh, nice! That's really cool. Um, but yeah, so I speaking of the the person getting their heart ripped out. Yeah, I feel like there were a lot of really cool visual sequences in this. Like not sequences, just like a lot of really picturesque shots. Yes. Um, which I you know. Of course, because it's Wes Craven, but like there were a lot of moments where I was like, that's a dope just like tableau. Well, it made me wish that we we hit this idea of um, uh, uh, the Angela Bassett character having like these visions. Yeah. And uh, she'll like paint what she sees in her in her nightmares. And yeah. we see a couple of them like kind of come to life, like her roommate, uh, you know, up in the in the crucifix pose in the bedsheet. Yeah. It makes me wish we had done more with that device yeah like as as maximilian stockser maybe he's attempting to kind of push her further and further and further into this if not insanity certainly a lack of tether and stability so that he can more efficiently get his hooks into her and pull her into his world and his being yeah because ex exactly what you're saying we, it leads to so many really interesting moments and shots and imagery even if we're only looking at the paintings themselves mm -hmm. it made me want more of that yeah and I imagine, like in the original scripts, the the uh, the visions and the 
the fact that like her mother was in in an insane asylum and she doesn't know if she's going crazy. I feel like that probably was a very big part of the movie. Like now it, I mean, in the final product, it feel, felt a little tangential in that like the visions just stood to be like, you're special. And her mom being in the insane asylum was just like a reason for them to be like, ah, oh, is she going to be okay? Um, but So I feel like they were brushed off where they should have been like, the main focus like i feel like a lot of this movie should have been from her perspective like if it was made now it would have been a lot of like her living her daily life and then every then you'd start to introduce little pieces of like things that she thinks are insanity um and you then later find out it is this vampire who's messing with her and then you could build up maximilian before you actually see him right and then you give you give eddie murphy this massive movie star entrance because you've been in her pov the whole time you build up this character that's sort of following her around stalking her almost like uh uh in like stephen king's the stand all of the survivors will have these dreams about uh the the dark man the man in black yeah. kind of like that how there's always this like spectral form that's like just outside of her peripheral vision but she can always feel him there yeah we build him up build him up build him up build him up and that way when he finally enters it's it's this huge, massive, like the movie star entrance of movie star entrances. But because the movie they made is like a mid '90s starring vehicle for a comedic actor, it's like now we got to get him into this thing right away. Right. And so our the character that we're a lot more likely to identify and empathize with, we don't spend as much time in her POV. It's almost like this thing is at least sixty percent from Max's POV, and Max is not the most empathetic of characters. What? You, the guy who, like, kills animals and rips people's hearts out Not isn't the, the most... most sympathetic. Can I say that, like, it's... I, I found it surprising how um, callously they killed animals in this movie. He just, like, whacks that cat. Yeah. He, he like, shoots him, and then, like, he blows a dog up, and you like see its yeah. body just like just like smolderingly out of the fall- sky yeah. into the water. The the police officer too that has that dog who pops up a couple of times in the movie. That actor is W. Earl Brown, who also worked with Wes Craven a couple of times. He was the uh, like uh, the coroner in New Nightmare when okay. uh, Heather Langenkamp goes to see the body of her husband. Yeah, and he was also uh, Kenny the cameraman in Scream. Oh, nice. Yeah, and of course, like, he's worked a ton. He was uh, uh, Dan Doherty on Deadwood, which is one of the best shows of all time. Dude's dude's worked a whole bunch. But yeah, yeah. it was cool to see him, and like, with very little actual FaceTime. And it wasn't until a couple years later, like, we got to... When, when did we get to Scream? Scream and... Uh, New Nightmare was actually maybe before this, wasn't it? New Nightmare uh, was like 94 something like that? Uh, um, Yes. New Nightmare was before this. Scream was, was like a year after. or two after it. Yes. Anyway, it's just nice to see, like, for that little stretch of time, I guess, Wes and uh, W. Earl were were buds. Yeah. It, that is another thing that I find interesting, is that I think that both Eddie Murphy and Wes were in transitional periods of their careers. Like, he had just come out with New Nightmare and was like, what am I going to do with my next thing? And then Eddie Murphy was like, I only have one more contract left with Paramount. What am I going to do as my next thing? So, like, it's interesting that both of those two came together to be like, let's transition together and ended up with a product that neither of them like. Yeah. Um, I've not really heard Wes Craven discuss this movie ever. I Which I suppose is he would. maybe yeah. telling. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure that he had a very bad time. Like, a very bad time. Um, but, yeah. Uh, speaking of bad times, uh, Kadeem Hardison's ghoul, I really like. I love that ghoul is the term that yeah. they use. Um, Can we talk about how horrifying what's happening to him is? Yes. Let's do. Um, I I think as a kid, I found it funny. Because, like, body humor is what kids understand the most. Um, but, like, as an adult, I'm like... That's rough. And but also as like a someone who intakes a lot of media, it makes it brings up so many questions. Um like what? The main question being if you if ghouls can become vampires, why are vampires dying out? Like he could have just been like, "All right, you're my ghoul now." 
put my ring on and now you're a vampire boom vampire hey you're my ghoul now put my ring on you're a vampire oh, so boom. so here's though my reading of it was he at the very end of the movie gets the ring right and he becomes a vampire which i guess because he had some of the blood early in the movie right because how i read that was as soon as he had the blood like he died essentially right like he's he's you know uh, looks alive essentially but he died and his body the whole movie is just like rotting and decomposing yeah. actively over the course of the movie right so he's already dead so i guess he puts the ring on and once you're already dead or, or supernaturally dead slash undead you can become vampiric but the way i read it was that only holds as long as the ring is on now nothing in the movie confirms or denies this but that was my reading of it because all i could think at the end of the movie was this dude has spent the entire movie losing stuff so if i was this guy i would immediately like like take a soldering iron and just attach that ring permanently to my hand because in theory if the ring falls off and again only my reading of it yeah he goes back to being a ghoul and decomposing with his with his shit falling off all the time but again, nothing, nothing in the movie supports or debunks this necessarily. Right. It was my interpretation that essentially once he put it on, it was a sign of him graduating. Because like at one point, um, Eddie Murphy is like, my ghoul is doing such a great job. I think he'll be like a great vampire at some point. Um, that's how he speaks. Don't don't contend me. Don't at me. Um, that sounded halfway to Indian. What? That, that sounded like you were you were not fully committed to an Apu impression. No, I would never. <laughs> one, I would never do an Apu impression. It's too, it's too, too, fraught, too loaded, yeah, too yeah. loaded. Um, but that was it was Romanian. Uh, okay, hello, I'm hello, I'm British and Romanian. Anyways, um, he. So I think that I feel like that was like his graduation. Like the moment you become the the vampire, there's no going back. Unless, you know, you, I think he just has to feed and then he'll be good. Right. Um, I think the weirdest part is that he developed a accent from becoming a vampire. Right. Right. What's that about? You got to be Romanian Car Caribbean. Uh, that's that's the rule. If you want to be a vampire, I'm sure if Angela Bassett had taken her first feed, she would have been also Caribbean Romanian. She would have been like, I'm Angela Bassett. Oh, raw. That's what uh, that accent sounds like as a woman. I can't even, I can't even take a Bassett. shot at the point of origin for that particular <laughs> dialect. I just told you. It's no, Romanian-Caribbean. Definitely not. Um, I, we'll let the experts out there <laughs> not at me about it. Um, but yes. Um, so that was my main thing is that like Eddie Murphy could have been creating vampires all day. He could have been just like all day long creating vampires. But he's like, nah. This is the the only one I can have. And maybe because I want to fuck it. Yikes! Maybe it's like uh <laughs> maybe it's an ego thing though, right? Like the reason that there are only two Sith at a time is because you need a master and an apprentice. Because if there's more, two of them are gonna gang up on the one, and then one of them will kill the other one. Maybe maybe yeah. it's that type of thing. It's just like I just need my one ghoul, and I'm gonna get my lady. And and that's it. And then me and my lady can be be partners, and we could just have the one ghoul, and we can eat people. Uh, because if we have like a ton of ghouls, the ghouls might unionize, and then right. the ghoul union will come after us. Nah, you just give them incentives. You're like, hey, if you're a good enough ghoul, you'll become a vampire, and then you just start like creating like a pyramid scheme of vampirism. You're like. Bring more ghouls in, and then you'll get to eventually become a vampire, and you'll have this Lamborghini as well. All you got to do is just bring in two friends, and those friends bring in two friends, and then, damn, we got a whole vampire community. Dab, dab, dab. Yeah. Okie doke. Yep. That's <laughs> yep. all it needs. That's how they get, um, how they get all this. how they get you. how they get all um, this. how they get okay. all the money. <laughs> all right. Um, so... There, I have such an issue with uh, the Maximilian character's tactics, because um, especially now, they feel like they are the template for, like, pickup artistry. Like, his whole thing is he, one, he, he does a um, prince in the swine with a, uh, with a snake, which the prince in the swine is this thing where uh, 
a jerk comes in and talks to a girl and, he, and he's an asshole to her. And then the prince will come in, which is like usually your friend. And he'll be like, Hey, is this guy bothering you? Get out of here. And he'll be like, sorry about that. Let me buy you a drink. Um, okay. Yes. That's, it's a pickup tactic. Um, I'm trying to, you know, you know, the, the moment I learned and internalized the concept of negging, yeah. I think is maybe when my my faith in humanity broke completely. <laughs> I think I was on my way, and then I was introduced to this concept, and I went, you know what? I quit. I just I give was up. your Pluto Nash. I just give up. I just yes, that was the moment that that, <laughs> that broke me. That was my equivalent of my star vehicle grossing four million on a hundred million budget. <laughs> um. Yeah. So no, but like he and he does it twice. He does it once with the snake, and then he does it with the cab. So like he, uh, he has uh, Julius the the ghoul try to hit her with a taxi, and then he like swoops in and is like, "Hey, I saved you. Why don't we get a drink together? You know that swine over there is garbage, but I'm a prince." And then uh, she's like, "Cool." But then he also leading up to that does two other pieces where he essentially stalks her to figure out what she's into, pretends like he's into it, and then also works the, on the, the isolating pasta, her. Yeah. yeah. Um, which are one giant the one giant red flags to um their abuser techniques in mm-hmm. that like they are very specifically used to make someone only depend on you mm-hmm. um and feel like you're the only person who like understands them. And so it, it like ingratiates you. And he's a he's a villain, so like I get it. Right. It's not like the movie is trying to suggest that this character is somebody you should be rooting for. Right. But it's just it like it rang so true that I it like hurt my insides. Yeah. Um I think that like when I was a kid, none of that registered and I was just like, Oh, he's just a bad guy trying to get that girl. Um but now I like I feel like I can internalize the ickiness and it's just like mm, I don't like it. Right. Not a fan. Right. Um, so, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad he was thwarted. For I'm real. so glad he was thwarted. I do like, though, that before he's thwarted, we get the the crazy, like, vampire prosthetic makeup. Oh, yeah. That That's somewhere between, like, aesthetically somewhere between uh, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and From Dusk Till Dawn. Yes. Um, it, specific, it specifically reminded me of, have you ever seen The Wishmaster? <laughs> yes. Um, it very much reminded me of like when he goes like full gin. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Which I guess makes sense because the person who did Wishmaster's makeup also did From Dust Till Dawn. Um, well, that tracks then. Yeah. And From Dust Till Dawn, I want to say it was like two years after this. Probably. Yeah. So, guys, everyone knows what vampires look like, and it's that. It's exactly that. Yep. That vampires and gin. Just the, the nose and the cheeks and, like, the bumpy forehead type yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bumpy forehead seems to be, if we're going to prosthetic makeup our vampires, bumpy forehead seems to be a common feature across properties. Yeah. Um, I mean, because you got to have that weird bone structure. It's got to feel real alien. Right. You know what I'm saying? Ooh, but bumpy like, it, forehead. It doesn't make a ton of sense to me because vampires were all human at some point, presumably. Right. But, like, they take on, I in my mind, it's more that they take on, like, bat-like bone structure so like bats have like things here and big brows and giant okay and the noses that tracks okay yeah yeah Yeah. so that was that's my interpretation of it okay that tracks for me yeah yeah yeah. as about as much as any of this can possibly (laughs) track for anybody um so yeah um but a equally unhealthy relationship um but presented in a better light is is um, Justice and uh, Rita, who is uh, I forget the actor's name who plays Justice. I, I um, forget both both actors' names in this moment. Unfortunately, I feel um, like Rita Angela Bassett. Oh no, uh, Rita, Rita! I'm sorry, I was thinking about the roommate. Oh no, 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 no! Who is entirely too much? Oh, the <laughs> the roommate is entirely yeah, too much. Yeah, I wrote thirsty. Yeah. Um, I mean, some people just gotta have it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, honestly, hey. look, there's not, hey, not, I think it's presented as fairly, no, you know what? No, they She's, shame her. Right. Real I was bad. like, her attitude is sex positive. The movie's attitude does not seem to be anywhere near as sex positive because not only do they treat this character like, like you're supposed to be going, eesh. And right. then they, 
they literally murder her yes. for for essentially just being like taking agency with her own sexuality. It's kind of weird. Yeah, they also literally refer to her as the whore of Babylon. Yep. Um yep. so that's right. Yeah. No thanks. She's she's a she's a sex positive character in a sex negative story. Yep. Yep. Ooh. Although to be fair, right? Well, it's still not great. Uh, but I suppose in a vampire story, because vampires have uh, historically been linked intrinsically to sensuality, sexuality. Yeah. Um, I guess you could try and argue that, like, if we're tying all that stuff to vampirism, then, like, in this story, sex not good. Something, something, something. Totally. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't. Like, it still no. It feels. Track. It feels not the best. No. No. Yeah, so I would say that, like, if anything that there's anything that doesn't hold up, it would be that gross view of um, sex and its merits and dismerits. Um, It's just that she's a lot, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like you could have... I think it would still kind of have the same scent to it, but I think it would feel less egregious if she wasn't such a cartoon. Right. Well, yeah, she was basically like the Pepe Le Pew of this movie. She's <laughs> yes. like, you want this? You want... And it's just, it's a lot, right? Because as soon as she doesn't hook up with Justice, she just bumps into Maximilian outside. And it's like, well, you'll do. Right. It's a lot. And, a then, you know, there's bit. nothing there's nothing wrong with that. But because she is depicted as such a cartoon, it just feels like a well, lot. Because that's her only defining feature is that we meet her... Um, like this is definitely isn't like a Bechdel test winner. Like it, it, like we, the moment you meet her, she is like trying to put that guy's dick in his mouth, uh, in her mouth. And then like he leaves and he's like, look, I don't want this. And then she's like, oh, look, dick over there. Like, like her defining characteristic (laughs) yonder dick. Yeah. Yes. Um, which isn't like great. It, like if if we had established her before, so like in the movie, in in the TV series of this movie, um, you know they would have established her as like maybe having been in a like just out of a relationship, and um, so like her journey before we meet Maximilian, or like it, her journey is to like give us our first glimpse into that character. So like essentially. She's trying to get back on the market and Rita's like, you know, girl, you just got to you just got to go get out there and get some. And so, like, yeah, she's being really forward despite her own wants. Um, and then she meets Maximilian and he's like, hey, I'm suave and I like you and I, I know all your things. And then she's like, all right, I'm going to get back on going to get back on the horse. And then he murders her and, she, and it turns out to be this big tragedy. Right. You know. But that's not how it happened. No, instead, she's a cartoon character who's punished for exhibiting sexuality, essentially. Right. But, um, and the whole, it's like, you feel so, you feel bad for the way this character is treated uh, within the text of the story. And then I just feel doubly bad because before she gets treated that way, she's it's still just so much. Yeah. I mean, I will say that, like, if you're going to die, it might as well be having, like, great sex, though. Um, she sounded like she was having a good time. Uh, yeah, right like, up until... Right, 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 right. You know, she gets murdered, and, and it's, like, during sex. But if like, you're going to get murdered, make it a sexy murder. murder. Hell yeah. 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 You know? You got to uh, be like, say my name. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm dead. Um, yeah. Uh, at Tari J about this, folks. Not <laughs> not me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, guys, not me. if any of you guys would like to have sex with me to death... <laughs> Um, <laughs> don't, don't slide in my DMs. Uh, just like, I mean, you could let me know publicly so everyone knows that like, that's a desire of yours, but I don't want this to go any further than that. I don't want it to go anywhere near. Yeah. Just, just like, let me know, let everyone know, but like, it was not going to happen. Just add, add Tari about this. <laughs> don't, don't add me. I can't, I'm with you. I don't know what's happening. It's, it's making me uncomfortable. Is it? Is it? Death by Snoo Snoo. <laughs> what is Snoo Snoo? It's it's from uh it's from Futurama where uh the Amazonian women decide to kill um Brath uh Fry and k- k- the other one um Kip and, and so it's like Death by Snoo Snoo so they're all getting uh sexed to death. 
Got it. Yeah, that sounds vaguely familiar. Is that that sounds like is that earlier Futurama? Yes, very early. So that's it's like that's, season one. So that's the Futurama stuff that I really liked and also haven't seen in a real mm, long time. Okay. Well, maybe you should get back on it. Okay? The thing is, like, I believe you, but you could be lying, and I would just have to take your word for it I because could I don't be, remember. But no one, you know, but people would at me about it. So just keep an eye on my Twitter. Maybe this is why it's like you're just going to flood the the next couple of minutes with distractions so nobody's thinking about your whole murder <laughs> sex tangent. Oh, man. I'm just saying, <laughs> if you're going to go, like, I, I would much rather go that way than like, ah, oh, have a heart attack doing his taxes. Like, go garbage. I don't want it. I don't want to be murdered in any context. Maybe. I mean, are you sure? <laughs> Maybe. Like, but if you had to be murdered, like, what would be your preference? Like, d- d- like you, you meet death and he's like, yo, you're going to be murdered tonight. And how would you like to have it happen? Do I have to have sex with death? No. Death just makes whatever you say happen. Um, but you have to die that night. And but you get to choose how you're murdered. Uh. Uh, uh, nu- nuclear fire orgy. Nuclear fire orgy. Yeah, like yeah. you're having an orgy with nuclear fire. No, no, no. That no, sounds like, like some hell shit. No, no, it does, doesn't it? No, just like <laughs> almost like an eyes wide shut sex party, and then we just detonate the warhead. Got it. See, exactly. You also would like to die having great sex. No, but like, but I don't want to yeah. die the way this roommate dies because it doesn't sound fun, pleasant, uh, exciting. It just, it sounds like great sex that turns into the most horrific nightmare scenario. Blood literally pours out of the keyhole of this room. Yeah, I don't know how that happens. I, it, real bad murder. Like, not one of those good, pleasant, clean murders <laughs> that you read about. No, like, real bad, bloody, violent murder. At least if a if a nuke goes off in the room, we're all, we're all out quick. Right. Like, we barely even notice. We're just like, oh, and it's over. Got it. Okay. Hmm... I shall grant this wish to you. Oh, great. Do you wish it? No, no not really. I mean, I thought we were just sort of spitballing here. <laughs> well, stop waving your arms like that. <laughs> oh, man. That's how I trick people into, into, you know, getting their preferred murders. I mean, the hardest part is setting up the orgies and the nuclear bombs. But if you're death, couldn't you just, like, wave your arms and it's all there? No, being death is all event planning. Yeah, it's we really just, just like, have really to just gotta take advantage of what we could get on yeah. the day. Right, you know? Uh, it's it's like being a producer, you know, you're like <laughs> setting up these elaborate scenarios just for people so they can have their, their preferred death. And we need to have, you know, we have to set up tents and folding chairs for everybody who's like waiting that we're not using in the orgy right now. They've got to have somewhere that and we need to know where like where craft services is set right. up because you burn a lot of calories. You're going to need electrolytes and and some food and things like while we're waiting for for the thing to go boom. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of logistics. It, it really is. My favorite is when they try to trick me and they're like, death, I want to die of old age. Ha ha, you can't kill me tonight. And then I snap my fingers. And suddenly you're and decrepit. And then they just, yeah, yeah, they just like age in front of you. Like last, like the end of Last Crusade. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just like fly against a wall and crumble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love it. That's chose, my favorite. Poorly. Hmm. Um, Does it feel like yes. we're supposed to take something uh, potentially of thematic substance away from that character being named justice. Um, because as presented, it's just like, all right, well, he's the good guy and his name is justice. Cause justice is good. But it really felt like maybe in another version of this script, there was some thematic tie in there that we just didn't explore in the final product. I mean, probably, or I feel like it's just a black name. Like, we have this movie called Poetic Justice, which, was he in? No. He was in Jason's Lyric. No. May have, maybe him. I haven't anyway. seen Poetic Justice. Is it a pun on somebody's name? Yes. I hate those. Um, I hate those titles. I, titles hate you. I hate them. I don't know. No, I don't hate them. It's just something about it. It's just like, stop stop trying to be so cute. That's stop it. this. That's it. Your new murder is you're gonna be you're gonna be poetic, cutesy named to death. <laughs> yeah, you eat that dick. Um, anyways, 
Um, it's like the Eliza Dushku did a show for a minute called True Calling, and True was like her name. I don't know if it was short for Trudy or something. And no, it's like, just I, true. It's like I can't. I loved that show. I was just like I can't with this. That show was so good. I can't. Um, I can't do. And it. then later they brought in J- J- Jason Priestley to be like a nega her. Oh, it was real good. I just I can't. I, I, don't, I believe you. I believe you, but I just can't get past the the play on the name and the title. Okay. I don't know why. It's like a hyper specific thing that bugs me. Um, is it because you hate fun and merriment? That could be it. Yeah, I think that's accurate. That could that could be it. Yeah. 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 Um, mirth mirth killed my family, and so I swore off that kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah. I I wish. That like speaking of justice and speaking of like the resolution of this movie, I wish that it was more of the uh, like the third act. So like the third act is when she becomes half vampire and it's Eddie Murphy trying to teach her how to vampire. Um, And I wish that that was more because there's this moment. So this movie has a lot of different kernels of really great acting and really great chemistry. Yes. Um, specifically between like Angela Bassett and Eddie Murphy, which is surprising because I'm sure that she hated him. Um, well, why? Because of his like, like... Just because like he was a diva and he made it difficult for everybody to work. Yes. I guess that would do it. Yeah. I guess that'd be enough. I'd imagine that she she was like, I'm ready. And they're like, we have to wait for another 10 hours. And she's like, I'm a god darn professional. Can we just shoot my coverage? Can we just get a double in for Eddie? Who's the guy who plays the back of Maximilian's head in the shot where he's the preacher? Can we just get that guy to stand in? Um, They did. So in some of these accounts, a lot of it was her playing off of his doubles. Whoa. Yeah. That's Um, that's not cool. No. Um, It's rough. Uh, But there's that moment when she she and Maximilian are on the on the roof and he's talking about her dad and he's like, you know, if I had come to you and told you that like your father, a vampire, had sent me here to find you, like would you have believed me? And like I felt like that to me was like the movie. Um and them being in that tree and and, and him being like this is how you vampire, this is who we are, this is who you are. Like all that stuff I thought should have been more of the movie. And we don't, right? We get one reference real early when we meet uh, Lady Dice, the police captain, where she <laughs> alludes to her mother having been in an asylum. Yeah. And that's it. And it doesn't come back uh, until later in the movie when we really only hit it with one or two lines. Sort of, yeah. I mean, we get we get a little bit more of it when, like, uh, Zito is like, I worked with her mother, and and she had, like, which they, one is Zito? Zito is the the like the guy with the big scar who f- said he fought off a vampire at one point. Yeah, like he yeah, was yeah, in the yeah. reggae club. Right, 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 yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so like we get a, a little bit more of it, but like it's it's very much like in passing sentences like it's it's not like it's her big driver right you know which i think that like in more modern movies that would have been it that would have been her cornerstone it's a little bit like why don't we we set this up why aren't we exploring this more why aren't we exploring her psychology more and i think that's just a byproduct of what we were talking about a little bit earlier where this whole thing was devised as a starring vehicle for eddie murphy so that's where all the focus is yeah and as a result we we gesture towards Rita's internal life and psychology, but we don't really explore it outside of, like we're saying, those those pockets of like one or two lines here or there. Yeah. Like, I feel like we get the version of this character that should have been is Rachel Weiss in Constantine, the movie st- with um with uh, Keanu Reeves as yeah. Constantine. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like. These two are the same character, but that character is all like, this is her internal struggle. Like the first frame you get is of her having this dream where her twin kills herself and like there's a a note or whatever. And like that is essentially what this character should have or was supposed to be. Yeah. And and again, like you see it, you see so much going on in in Bassett's performance. Yeah. It's like so, and so many interesting ideas, whether it's, uh, you know, her, her family history or the fact that she, I guess, is a byproduct of her family history, has these visions, which it really feels like we could have made so much more of beyond just the aesthetic that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Just as a, as a device to explore her character and her relationship to the events that are happening around her as she descends further and further into it. 
like there's so much there and we just sort of like casually wave at it as right. it goes by. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, we are running short on time. Do you have any last thoughts before we go? Uh, one, one like last little bit of trivia, the, in the police station, the, the redheaded kind of crazy screaming zealot lady is, uh, an actress named Wendy Roby, who, uh, is best known certainly to me. And I think to many others as Nadine on Twin Peaks. Oh, so it was fun to see her. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun with this. I, I can't sit here and say that I think it's, uh, you know, again, the pinnacle of, of mid-90s star vehicle filmmaking, but a lot of fun. And I think there's a lot of really interesting elements here that make it, especially if you're an Eddie Murphy fan, that make it worth watching. Because even though, yes, uh, clearly behind the scenes, this was a bit of a troubled production. And I do think if you know that going in, the final product does reflect it to some extent. Yeah. Um, a lot of fun. It's no, it's no accident that Eddie Murphy was as big a star as he was for so long. The dude is one of the most charismatic screen presences that I think we've seen in modern film. Yeah. Um, and it's on full display here. Like you talked about how it's it's insane that that the two of them have any chemistry at all because she probably didn't like him very much. Yeah. But they both do. They are both so gifted and when i guess when he showed up both <laughs> committed enough to those performances that they they sell it we didn't really touch on the fact that eddie murphy it's almost like the shit's in his contract but like he they found a way for him to play two other characters and even though it did feel pretty superfluous and egregious and like we stopped the movie we were watching to watch a totally different movie yeah two separate times a testament to what, what a brilliant character actor Eddie Murphy is on top of being a, a you know comedic performer a pretty solid leading man under the right circumstances yeah uh etc 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 um you obviously know that under the the lighter skin like Italian makeup you know it's Eddie Murphy and if you're yeah. looking for Eddie Murphy you know it's Eddie Murphy but if you didn't know it was Eddie Murphy honestly you'd be able to like look at the prosthetic nose and go well something's not quite right there's like an uncanny valley thing happening a little right. bit in my opinion, you would not know that that was Eddie Murphy. And it reminded me of the the barbershop in Coming to America. Oh, yeah. Where it's him and I think Arsenio and uh, a young Cuba Gooding Jr. who are playing all of the characters in that barbershop. And Eddie Murphy is playing the old Jewish man yeah. who tells the whole bit about the, the spoon. There's the spoon. Aha. Like, that's <laughs> Eddie Murphy. And it's a, this feels like a performance right out of that school of Eddie Murphy prosthetic based character performances. Yeah. And it really, it feels like that must be like in his writer somewhere. It's like, I don't care if it's in the script or not. We have to devise circumstances in which I can play another character. I feel like it's no coincidence then that the clumps, the nutty professor came pretty shortly after this yeah. and he fell all the way into this tendency and played the entire <laughs> family. And like, think about how, he played it so straight in Dreamgirls, like went for the Academy Award. And it almost feels like because he only played one character and he played it so straight. He's like, I got to what, what, what's the what's the outlet for the rest of what I'm feeling? Norbit. <laughs> no. It just happened at the exact same time. And it almost felt like he needed to get that out. It's like I didn't I did a movie and I only played one character. What am I becoming? And it, <laughs> it felt like he needed to answer it. Almost immediately. I want to say like Norbit came out after Dreamgirls, but before the Academy Awards. Right. I think. So it really almost felt like he just needed to like, it was almost like an involuntary reflex. Yeah. He just had to get it out for whatever the budget of that movie was. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, yes, I had a lot of I had a lot of fun with this. I think if you're if you're an Eddie Murphy fan and you haven't checked it out, I think it's definitely worth watching. For all of the reasons that we've said, with, of course, all of the caveats that we've listed. Yeah, I'd agree. I think that, like, it is the, it's not the most underrated, but I think it's a fairly underrated uh, Eddie Murphy movie. I think that, like, if not just to see, like, what Eddie Murphy and Wes Craven created together, I think that alone is worth it. Also, um, Angela Bassett's great. Watch her and everything. Yes. Um, she was uh, Amanda Waller one time. Was she? In the Green Lantern movie. 
Oh, I've never seen that. Look never at, going look at to. this fantastic actress's uh, staggering body of work, and look at how quickly I reduce her to a supporting part in Green Lantern. Yeah, that uh, is terrible. Yeah. Terrible. So I was like, because. I was like, yeah, I mean, she went from being Tina Turner to doing this. And you're like, no, she went even further to doing Green Lantern. I am going to say in a more just universe, even though Viola Davis is is pretty spectacular casting for that part. I think in a more just universe, Angela Bassett would have gotten a, a run of Amanda Waller appearances in more cherished films. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe they'll bring her back. No, well, she's in Marvel camp. Yeah, now, now. she's now she's a uh, Queen Ramonda. Yeah, so she doesn't she don't need that. No, she don't need it. She, she's, um, she got that 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 mouse. Yeah. Iron Man money. <laughs> um, I think that one last thing that I didn't mention that I wanted to was the white lady who gets attacked in the in the park, um, who felt like she felt like a hundred percent a Charlie Murphy character, where she's this white lady who's like. I have pepper spray, but like, I understand what it's like to be black. And I understand that you guys have been in chains and, and he's like, no, why, why are you here? Um, or sorry, that's how I felt. Um, Eddie Murphy was just like, I'm going to bite your face. I'm going to bite your face and then you're, you're going to be gone. Um, but yeah, it was the weirdest encounter of the whole movie. Um, her just being like, I know what it's, I, I know the struggles you have, black man. Um, oh, yeah, because yeah. it felt like what, what what is I think now being known as like white feminism slash uh, white allyship, um, where you're like you're an ally. I'm making air quotes, right? But she, but you ain't. You ain't my dude. Do you mean like you're you position yourself as an ally based on your own presupposition that you understand things that you cannot possibly have an accurate frame of reference for? Uh huh. Okay, got it. Yep. Yep. Um, got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's it. Like, I think that everyone should check it out. Like, it's if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch. It's free to stream on there, so just do that. Um, and yeah, I like it. I I I I don't think it holds up. Like from my childhood to now, because I'm gonna grown up and I have grown up eyes. Um, but I think it's worth a watch, especially if you've never seen it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So that brings us to the conclusion of this episode of Missing Out. Uh, Lex Michael, where can the people find you? I am all over social media at the Lex Michael. And and Tari, if people want to talk to you about uh, sex murders, where can they find you? Oh my gosh, you can find me at Tari J. That's T A U R I J A Y. That's Instagram and Twitter. Oh my gosh, let me know. But again, not in my DMs. It has to be it has to be very public. It has to be very public. Yes. Like you have to you have to at me. But, like, put a period before my handle so that everyone knows that you would like to sex me to death. I think it's flattering. Um, but honestly, like, death has to be part of the equation. Right, right, right. Like, like it's, not just about, it's not just about fornication. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. about fornication plus murder. Like, yeah. that's actually what does it. Like, but the, the method of death has to be fornication. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it can't it can't just be hitting Tari up for sexy time. It no, has no, no. to be hitting him up for sexy time plus murder. Right, right, right. Yes. And, so. and only in the most public of fashions. Please. Please do. Um, I won't press charges <laughs> unless you actually <laughs> murder me. Then I might press charges. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, guys, thanks again for joining us here on Missing Out. Um, make sure to do all the things that we always ask you. Make sure that you um, like if you are on things like Stitcher or uh, iHeartRadio or make sure that you leave us stars if you're on iTunes and a comment uh, if you can just so people know why you like us not just that you like us I like you so like I want people to know that I like you because you listen to what we do and you yeah. always give us great feedback and yeah. you always like hit us up on Twitter which keep, is awesome which is super super cool like both both uh, by adding us in tweets and also by shooting uh, DMs to the show Twitter did we did we shout out the show Twitter we should shout out the show Twitter did we do that um, I don't think so did I go away just now for a minute uh, yeah you just, sometimes your eyes go glassy and I'm like <laughs> where did you go just now um, but yeah, uh, so also hit us up on Twitter at Missing Outcast, M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Um, and yeah, just keep being awesome and we'll see you next week. Bye. Sex murders. <laughs>